In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. We're joined by AJC Capital Correspondent Maya T. Prabhu for part one of a special Super special two-part episode. Uh, the first part, we're going to talk about a big update on the anti-abortion law, the heartbeat bill, including new efforts to block the legislation from going into effect on January 1st. Maya, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So so what happened just a few days ago in, in the court battle over the, the, the heartbeat bill? So the ACLU filed um, a motion for a preliminary injunction. We knew this was coming, um, but it's the formal request from the plaintiffs in this case, which are Sister Song Women of Color um, Reproductive Rights Organization. ACLU. Um, ACLU on behalf of mm-hmm. Sister Song as the plaintiff. They um, filed this motion asking the judge to immediately stop HB 481 from going into effect, which is scheduled as of now for January 2020. And tell us, how is this different from the, the litigation filed just a few weeks ago over this measure? So the litigation filed, um, there are a lot of similarities, but the litigation that was filed initially looked at um, making the case as to why the law is unconstitutional and why it should be stricken down. This says how it's going to cause immediate harm to women, people who are pregnant, um, and why it needs to be blocked while it goes through the court process. And it could be a years-long court process. So basically they're asking to block the law in January 1st while the other court case continues forward? Exactly. Are we getting any indication from the federal bench? And this case was assigned to federal judge Steve Jones, um, who's an Athens native. Um, Are we getting any indication on when there could be hearings, when when we could start hearing? Nothing yet. Um, You know, speaking with the lawyers for ACLU, um, they say typically in instances like this where it's not imminent that the law is getting ready to go into effect, there's a a month to two-month Um, process where folks on either side can file briefs and then they'll call a hearing and the judge could make a determination during that hearing or since again we have until January the judge could wait. And you talked about what you heard from ACLU of Georgia and Sister Song and other groups trying to block the legislation. What have you heard from uh, the the anti-abortion groups like Georgia Life Alliance? Um, So you know I spoke with their executive director and they think that um, unlike almost every other instance in where uh, people, a plaintiff is trying to block a restrictive abortion law from going into effect, they think this is the time where the judge will 
uphold the law and say that it should go into effect. You've been covering this case for us, this case, this this legislation slash the legal battle for us for months now. Um, you've talked to experts and analysts and lawmakers and all this. I know it's hard to read the tea leaves of what will happen, but what? how have other judges and other jurisdictions dealt with similar litigation? Yeah, like I mentioned, in almost every case that I can think of and that I've come across, they've always issued the preliminary injunction keeping the law from going into effect immediately while the court process plays out. And there are several injunctions across the country that are in place right now. Is there any sort of novel approach from Georgia where there's any sort of uh, hint that this could be that Georgia, that that the anti-abortion groups are taking a different tack in Georgia, that it could be different in any way? Well, the thing that stands out about Georgia's law is the personhood components that they um, that they included. So those are things like allowing parents to claim um, a fetus once it uh, once a heartbeat or mm-hmm. cardiac activity is detected um, to claim on their um, claim as a dependent on their taxes. Another thing is that um, a fetus would be counted toward the state's population or a mother could file for child support or pregnancy-related and delivery-related costs um, from the father. So on, the, on a separate note, but still on the anti-abortion bill, um, you, you wrote a story that had a lot of impact a few, a few days ago um, about how the activists and the uh, proponents behind this legislation, including Ed Setzler, the main sponsor of it, see the issue akin to the civil rights movement of, of the 1960s. Uh, what kind of fallout has that had? And, and what did he say? So he believes that um, this is a civil rights issue. A lot of anti-abortion activists believe this is a civil rights issue and that under the 14th Amendment, um, the unborn is the last class of citizens that is not recognized as a as a human, as a citizen of the country. Um, they point to um, from the time the country was founded, you know, Native Americans mm-hmm. had to get, get civil rights. Women had to get civil rights. Mm-hmm. African-Americans had to get civil rights. And so they're saying this is just chipping away and this is the last piece that will finally make all humans in the country be recognized as full citizens. It's interesting because we've all we've we've long heard the proponents of these of these bills talk about it in religious terms, right? Um, uh, but but I think it's it's somewhat newer. And and, and what what Ed Setzler told you is what you're hearing kind of at uh, it, it Georgia Republican and conservative gra- gatherings all over the state when they talk about this. So he's not out there alone in, on this, but he's the face of the uh, of the legislation in many ways. But when he when he talked to you, he invoked the Plessy versus Ferguson that the U.S. Supreme court's 1896 case. He even talked about the beating death of Emmett Till in 1955 and, and that inspired Rosa Parks and ignited the civil rights movement. So he, he sees this as, I guess, civil, the civil rights movement 2.0 in a way? Uh, yeah, it, it seems that way. You know, even I would say within the past week, he was in Birmingham and posted a picture on Twitter of himself outside of the Birmingham jail and referenced the um, the letter that Martin Luther King, you know, the famous letter that Martin Luther King wrote from the jail and saying how, you know, he's fighting for the civil rights of the unborn. And then critics of this legislation, women's rights groups, civil liberties groups, you name it, have basically called this this argument preposterous. You know, what a lot of people are saying is, like you said, that they find it to be preposterous, that they're trying to make this correlation, you know, they say 
Andrea, Andrea Young, the director of ACLU of Georgia, said, for example, um, this would be the only instance in which to grant someone rights, you're taking away the rights of someone else. So to grant personhood to a fetus, you have to take away the right of the mother to make decisions about her body. And so she just says that the the argument is baseless. Um, and then you have Kwajalein Jackson, um, the executive director with Feminist Women's Health Center, which is also a plaintiff in the case, you know, have very strong words specifically for Ed, Ed Setzler. And, um, you know, and sh- so she says, you know, and I quote, until the policymakers behind this bill can demonstrate how they are working to ensure that black people in Georgia receive equal protection under the law and are not deprived of liberty or property, keep the 14th Amendment out of your mouths. You know, she's very, very strongly yeah. saying that Georgia needs to uphold the 14th Amendment and and not take away rights from women um, when, you know, trying to grant rights to the unborn. So what are you watching next, Maya, when it comes to covering um, this, this very fast-moving debate over this legislation? We should be getting some filings. The response is due from the state next week or in a few days here. And um, so that that's the next step. And then just keeping an eye to see when um, a hearing is scheduled to rule on the um, motion for injunction. And meanwhile, what are, what are abortion providers doing? Are, are they, um, I guess they're in a bit of a purgatory because they don't know for sure if the law is going to be um, blocked yet. And so how are they preparing? They seem to be from what I understand, at least the plaintiffs in this case are operating under business as usual. They keep saying and reiterating abortion is still legal in Georgia. Um, you still have access to all of your health care and that they um, are hopeful that the injunctive relief will happen. Um, and we even have uh, there were several OBGYNs as individuals in their individual capacity listed as plaintiffs. And uh at the press conference recently, we had one of the OBGYN speak and say how, you know, this is going to make it difficult. If, if the law goes into effect, mm-hmm. it's going to make it difficult for her to do her job and for her to um, give women all of the information that they need to make decisions when it comes to miscarriage or abnorm- abnormalities that happen after, you know, six weeks when, when most heart, heartbeat the earliest point at which a heartbeat can be detected. And we've also talked about the, the difficulties for prosecutors and the different views that even local prosecutors have on if this bill, if this law were ever take effect, how they would react to it. So this, there's, there's a whole sort, of, whole sort of Pandora's box that would be opened in Georgia if, if it goes into effect. And, and there's, there's just differing viewpoints on, on what that legislation could mean. Yeah, in, in the briefing, the ACLU said that... Um, you know, the vague ways in which personhood was defined in HB 481 just kind of touches every law in which a human being is referenced um, and how there are tons of unintended consequences that could happen um, by this law going into effect. The one that I often mention is, mm-hmm. you know, if a woman is pregnant and the fetus is being counted toward the state's population, can she ride in the HOV lane? Yeah. Right now, you know, the the rule on the website says that you can't 
um, that, that a fetus doesn't count. A fetus in utero doesn't count. A baby in utero doesn't count. But, you know, proponents of this law say that they think that it should count and that a pregnant woman should be able to ride in the HOV lane. So there are all these, like, areas that are that are vague that, you know, the ACLU says just because of the vagueness, it makes the law unconstitutional. And for tax code purposes and, God forbid, but criminal statutes, you know, if, uh, all sorts of different uh, facets where this, this will touch on. Well, Maya, I have a feeling you're going to be in and out of court covering this along a lot over the next few weeks. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And now I'm joined by AJC senior reporter Jennifer Brett to talk about the viral story of the week in Georgia politics. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be with you. So this, of course, is the story of Democratic State Representative Erica Thomas and Eric Sparks. And Erica Thomas is a leader in the Democratic House caucus, one of the most outspoken opponents of the heartbeat bill that we just talked about, and also happens to be nine months pregnant. And uh, last Friday, she made a 12 or so minute video on Facebook Live accusing an unnamed man whose name, he he ended up coming forward, his name is Eric Sparks, of uh, berating her for, for having too many items in the Publix Express aisle at a Mableton Publix. Uh, and not just berating her, but calling her um, bad words, and then saying that she should, quote, go back from where she came from. Uh, and this ignited quite the firestorm, didn't it? Uh, yeah. This issue went off like a house on fire. I mean, Erica Thomas posted a tearful, emotional video. It really just touched people's hearts. You know, she was there with her little girl. She's, you know, an expectant mom and is there with her nine-year-old daughter. Somebody comes out of the blue and tells her she's got too many items in the express line, and and uh, then starts swearing using profanity, and then she further says that he tells her to go back to where you came from, which of course is a very incendiary phrase. This is something that kind of entered the political nomenclature after President Trump used that phrase in reference to four Democrat congressional members, um, Mm -hmm. three of whom are actually born in America, of course, but no matter. Uh, So subsequently, the the, uh, facts of the case unfolded throughout the week but the the political battle lines sort of formed early and in many cases didn't change and as these cases so often do it really became a political proxy war it did i mean kind of a workshop test for whoever wherever you are and on the on 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 whatever side of the aisle where you sit and it was interesting perspective because i mean it also shows you how quickly social media inflames and fuels the, these incidences because I got a text about it Friday night, so about a week ago. Um, I was at the I was at my mother-in-law's birthday party, so I certainly wasn't in position to write a big story about it anyway. But I got a text about it that, that she said this. I looked at the video. I said, "Oh wow, this is this is quite the claim." I just tweeted something saying that Erica Thomas, um, a, a, you know, top-ranking Democrat, is saying this happened to her. And shortly after, other videos of this kind of went viral and got millions of views overall. But even on my little feed, I saw Democrats, Republicans, Democrats saying how repugnant, you know, this, this was a window, this was a heartbreaking side effect of Donald Trump's um, rhetoric. Republicans saying there's more to the story, there's no way this is true. And in all these incidences, there's almost always more to the story, um, which is why it's hard to make any sort of rush to judgment and then, as you said, more started coming out starting the next day with a 
bizarre TV encounter. It was like made for TV moment where Erica Thomas holds a press conference in front of the publics where this happened. And the man she accused, Eric Sparks, um, surprisingly, without any sort of mention to the media, shows up as well and says uh, something rather uh, shocking. Yeah, this was really interesting. She's giving a sort of an impromptu news conference in the parking lot, and then the person who is the um, you know alleged aggressor shows up. So, so that was a little bit of um, reality TV, um, as it were. And and so, you know, she had already held a news conference, and then when Eric Sparks, who came forward and, and wanted to identify himself and and speak for himself, um, you know, the the facts of the case just you know started to unfold. Well. Actually, he didn't say, go back to your country. He didn't use that exact phrase, but he sort of was making those kind of references. And so, you know, the, the wording, you know, began to evolve. Um, of course, you know, folks had not waited for, you know, the facts to unfold before, you know, sort of rendering their social media verdict. Mm. And as you said, a lot of uh, really prominent support um, immediately for Erica Thomas, including a number of Democrat uh, presidential candidates. Bill de Blasio tweeted, let's be clear, this is on Donald Trump and every single person who refuses to condemn his vile racism. He tweeted that shortly after the video um, uh, aired, and then he added the hashtag I stand with Erica. So naturally, uh, you know, linking it uh, to the president. Um, as the facts of the, the case have, you know, have begun to um, you know, unfold over the week, uh, it turns out Eric Sparks, is, you know, he says he's a Democrat, he is of Cuban descent, and, um, and he has posted many times himself di- disparaging of the president's mm-hmm. uh, remarks in, in this realm. So it, it's hard to say it's one political side versus another, since it does seem that um, both parties, um, at, at least in, in some regard, have some political um, similarities. Yeah, as 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 the reporting continued, and the and also the police later also revealed their reporting uh, about the incident, uh, a more nuanced look uh, emerged. And I think first of all, it happened on Saturday when Eric Sparks did show up on that run, and he said, "Look, we're adults here, so I can say these words." But he said, "Yes, I called her a lazy bitch, but no, I never said anything racist. No, I didn't say go back to where you came from." So, you know, to us in the media, because his name hadn't been, I think he knew his name would be out there because he had talked to police and once the police report was out and the police report didn't come out till Monday. So he, I think he knew in the back of his mind, his, his mind that, the, that his name would be out there anyway. But for him to kind of jump the gun and come out before his name was even, had even really surfaced, um, you know, that, that, was, that, was, that was part of the whole, holy crap pipe type part of the moment. Um, and then, as you, as you mentioned, even more, came out as the police started revealing uh, what their incident report said. First, on, on Monday, when the police report uh, included the names of, of four witnesses, we called all four. We got one on the record. And that witness, who is a public staffer, said, I, heard, I saw something. I saw, a, I saw the conflict, but I never heard Eric Sparks say, go back to where you came from. He said he's not, he, that doesn't mean it wasn't said. He just said he was standing right there and didn't, didn't hear it. Yeah, the um, the police report did um, include a bit of narrative, and uh, in 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 some cases we're we're at odds with the initial um, allegations. The police report said that Eric Sparks did not appear to be irate, did not have clenched fists, as was um, alleged. That the entire episode lasted about forty five seconds, and that you know he made whatever point he made, and then and then went on about his way, and that Erica Thomas then stepped forward in his direction. Uh, subsequently, the video um, has been released. It does not have audio, so we're not allowed, we can't hear what was said. But mm. it is a, it is a very brief encounter. It doesn't seem like any um, 
doesn't seem like it was a, a big brawl or anything. It seems like two people talking at a at a checkout line. You're not you're not able to hear what's going on, but it doesn't seem like it was um, you know this this you know massive uh, spectacle. And and so that may be why you know some of the witnesses didn't hear the entire encounter. I guess it didn't last very long, and uh, the, the store didn't look very crowded. Uh, but yeah, I mean this. The initial uh, allegations were that this episode left um, Erica Thomas in fear for her life, and and it was um, you know portrayed as being a very um, you know sort of bombastic encounter, and then um, then comes the police report and then the video. Yeah, and um, in the second police report that came out also revealed that a second witness also um, did not hear this man Eric Sparks say "Go back to where you came from." In fact, um, she, she that witness heard. Erica Thomas say that to Eric Sparks. So there's some there's some there's some big gray areas here. Uh, of course, we don't know what was said because, as you said, that surveillance video had no audio. Um, what Erica Thomas and her attorney Gerald Griggs have said repeatedly was that they are not going to backtrack on their stories. They they're sticking to their story. They're, they're sticking to the claim that 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 Eric Sparks did say this this racist comment and directed her way, even though, as you mentioned earlier, there was a TV interview on Saturday where Erica Thomas appeared to hedge and say, well, he might not have said go back. He, he said something like that. Meanwhile, Eric Sparks has said he's exploring, he's talking with attorneys, exploring a defamation lawsuit against Eric Thomas. So a lot of moving pieces here. Yeah, I've talked with several folks um, in the district and, and elsewhere throughout Metro Atlanta. I mean, many, many of Erica Thomas's supporters are standing right by her. Uh, folks who have known her say, you know, she would not make something up. She's not one to, to just uh, fabricate. Um, others uh, are incensed that, you know, that something, you know, is, in their opinion, has been blown up. Um, I don't know, as a ploy for attention or political support. Well, one, one guy said, you know, well, what happens the next time when some legitimate instance really does happen? Are we going to be more skeptical because of the, the gray areas here? And then, um, and then finally I talked to a guy from Stone Mountain, and, and he sort of had a really good take. He said, you know, at the, at the base of it, what we have both sides admitting to is that a guy came out of the blue in, in a grocery store checkout line and cussed at an expectant mother with a little girl standing right there Nobody disputes that, so it's like, you know, was that not bad enough? It's funny, we're in, we're in a situation where a guy cursing at a pregnant mother, that's like the defense. You know, that, that's what he's saying, oh, well, I, I, only, I only called her a bitch. <laughs> I didn't do anything worse. And that's the world we live in today. We, we mentioned, too, the, the political divide, and you said presidential candidates were, were chiming in. I, I'm interested, too, in the Georgia divide, because you had the Georgia Republican Party just pounce on this. Uh, they, 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 they highlighted the fact that Erica Thomas... Um, sought to raise f- campaign fundraising cash off of uh, after this incident. Um, also, you had many members of the Georgia House Democratic Caucus tweet or make public statements in support of Erica Thomas. But some of the state party leaders uh, were were very <laughs> were decidedly neutral, and that includes Stacey Abrams and Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Both of them did not take any sides, did not did not you know take a public position on what was happening. Yeah, and, and that may be good advice, um, just sort of on a general um, level, not necessarily talking about this specific instance, but a number of folks that we've talked to this week, um, social psychologists and other experts from uh, from different universities, um, sort of urge a bit of uh, caution when wading into the social media waters. Uh, uh, one um, expert I talked to, Peter Coleman, professor of psychology at Columbia University, who researches conflict. That's, that's his whole job. 
Um, and, and he pointed to a study called, yeah, that sounds fun, right? Um, he, he pointed to a study called the perception gap, how false impressions are pulling Americans apart. And the stunning conclusion of this study, which was uh, uh, done by a group called More in Common, it actually found that Americans' views are more similar to their political opponents than they might realize, but that people who just have this voracious appetite for news, media, social media, who just kind of stay up on every latest twist and turn, turns out that that can actually be to your detriment. If you sort of cram your social media feed with, um, with news and updates, uh, you're, you're sort of inclined to um, interact with folks who sort of agree with you, and you can create this sort of news cocoon where it becomes mm-hmm. a, you know, an echo chamber. So I don't know if his advice is maybe like you know, put down the phone and, and the tablet and get out and take a walk, but wouldn't be a bad idea, I think. Amen. I mean, you see it all the time. The, the, the things you're going to see on your social media feed are, are, are the ideas and topics you interact the most with. And so, yeah, you're going to see things that sort of validate your views. And the experts that you talk to, that I talk to, I'll say, if you see something, if you see a meme or a video or a news story that, that, that you know, seems like it's too, it, it's not really believable, uh, sometimes it is believable. Sometimes you need to do a little bit more research before sharing and spreading it. And this was a really good example, uh, a side effect. I mean, I, I personally saw the bots come out of the woodwork um, in a way that I haven't seen since the 2018 election with anything I've covered. Uh, in the 2018 election, we saw lots of bots over the Stacey Abrams, Brian Kemp thing. But this these stories, tweeting about them, we saw a lot of Twitter handles that suddenly sprung up um, it had you know with 17 followers and in random U.S. cities and would tweet you know 20 times and then kind of disappear and all this divisive stuff. And then there was there was another satirical story out there about how Erica Thomas had a run-in at a Chick-fil-A and and, and it turned out you know it was just this sort of joke story that some people also it wasn't from the Onion it was from a lesser-known website. But I saw that all over my feed. People were saying, well, this isn't the first time Erica Thomas has had a problem like this. And they were sharing a fake story, like literally, you know, satirical story, a made-up story uh, about this, 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 this Chick-fil-A run-in as legitimate news. So check your sources, follow credible sources, and, and remember that oftentimes there are, or always there are two sides to every story. In fact, there's probably more sides than two to every story. Uh, another uh, professor I, I spoke to this week, an author, his name is Jonah Berger. He's a professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He's got this really fascinating book called Contagious, Why Things Catch On. And I kind of like that title because it sort of you know, renders social media like it's maybe a disease or something. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he, we talked about how when people are on social media, you know, on, they're, they're not on a neutral fact-finding mission a lot of times. A lot of times, this is what he said, they're, you know, folks are looking for ammunition that helps them make the point they want to make. So if, if you're looking for your views to be validated on social media somewhere, it's not hard. Uh, and, yeah. and so you know, I think the advice from, from a lot of these folks is you know, take a step back before you – before you engage that Twitter trigger finger, maybe um, take a step back, do a little bit of research, find some um, you know empirical neutral sources you trust, not just folks who seem to ent- entirely agree with you. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us, and please, all our listeners, make sure you read her her big uh, big piece on this and all the lessons we can learn from what happened over the last week. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. 
you'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.